This show is brought to you by Nice Mug. Nice Mug is the only mug made entirely out of ice. For more information, go to nicemug.com and enter the coupon code SAUNA for 10% off your entire purchase. Hey everybody, uh, this is uh, this is Glenn with Sound of Times, and um, this uh, this podcast is part of the Two One Eight series podcast. Two One Eight is the area code for Northern Minnesota, <clears throat> and up here in Northern Minnesota, it's a different attitude, a different vibe. Uh, you'll hear it in the accents, and you'll hear it in uh, in how our guests uh, react, you know, to some of the questions, some of the thoughts about sauna. Uh, this is sauna country up here. Uh, this is like Finland. I mean, there's lakes, rivers, streams, mountain—not uh, mountains, but you know—you have uh, uh, hunting shacks uh, out in you know back 40 acres and stuff. Most of these have saunas. Most of the cabins have saunas. Um, and in the heart of this all uh, sits Lampa Manufacturing in Tower, Minnesota. Tower's population is about 435, I think, at last census report. There's no traffic light. There's a convenience store, a bar or two, and a couple of uh, a couple of streets off the main drag sits Lampa Manufacturing. I got to visit with Daryl Lampa. It was uh, yesterday afternoon, and this is another thing about sauna talk. This is a this is a tough one now. I'm trying to get this podcast published within 24 hours of my visit with Daryl Lampa. At our cabin on Pine Island on Lake Vermilion, I can look pretty much east-southeast and barely make out maybe about four miles across this big open stretch of Lake Vermilion, which is a 26-mile wide lake, by the way. But as I look to the east-southeast, I can see the entrance to Pike Bay, and you go in, and, uh, and this is what I did on my fishing boat. I brought this recording gear on my boat and uh, <clears throat> and took it across big bay into pike bay and you go into pike bay and there's a channel that'll take you right into the little town of tower under the bridge of highway 169 that goes right into tower and on its way out to ely uh, and that's the end of the road uh, that's the access to the boundary waters up to canada where there's thousands of lakes and uh, a, a really beautiful spot of North America. But uh, that's what I did. I took the fishing boat in. Daryl picked me up right at the dock and uh, we went up to his factory and we sat down on his desk and we had sauna talk. And I'm telling you, there's a lot in this episode of sauna talk. We talk a lot about saunas, of course, because, you know, Daryl's grandfather, you know, it goes way back. His grandfather was an immigrant from Finland. He came over he uh, got a job in welding and uh, in his garage uh, was making sauna stoves for himself and neighbors and friends in Embarrass, Minnesota, which is a Finnish community. And Embarrass is an interesting place. It was um, a lot of the Finns uh, settled there because of the gnome soil, uh, which allowed uh, for potatoes to be grown. Uh, pretty well. But the Finns didn't go there to embarrass by choice. They were ostracized from the mines. A lot of them uh, weren't able to work in the mines when there was uh, uh, strikes, labor labor problems going on. So all the Finns settled there and uh, 
Daryl's grandfather was no exception. And uh, you'll see in the show notes a photo of Daryl's grandfather's sauna stove. And I tell you what, you know, I'm, I'm speaking from the heart to you here in that I was like driven to tears yesterday, standing on the uh, loading dock of uh, Lampa Manufacturing and looking at Daryl's grandfather's stove that's 80-something years old that was hand-welded by him and stick-weld technology at the time. And then in front of that sat his grandson's stove, Daryl Darryl's stove, his design. And to see the craftsmanship evolve from three generations, uh, I was touched. I mean, I was deeply moved by uh, on a lot of levels uh, about that that moment. Um, you will hear Daryl speak about the DIY work ethic, uh, about tinkering in his garage, and um, the lessons there are, are well beyond sauna stoves. It's about anything, anything you believe in and uh, and have a passion toward and, and a drive and direction uh, you can achieve by tinkering is, is his theory. And I, and I believe in that. Uh, I've done it myself. I've invented a product called Nice Mug, and there's a lot of garage R&D work. And granted, I had to, the opportunity to drink a few cold beers in the process. But and, and the other thing I want to share with you about Daryl Lampa is, uh, is Tower, Minnesota. We talk a lot about how cold it gets up there in wintertime. And I don't know if you're sitting there like I am, uh, right, like I am right now as I'm talking to you with uh, no shirt on. I'm sitting here ready to light up the sauna here on, the, on this cabin uh, sauna out here on Lake Vermilion. And it's a beautiful summer day. Uh, I can't wait to hit the sauna. I got no shoes on. But you, you forget how cold cold can be. And uh, Tower, Minnesota has the uh, continental U.S. record for 60 below. And Daryl's got a great anecdote in this podcast about that day. He remembers it well. And uh, everybody in Tower remembers that day well. I remember that day well. And I won't bore you with how and why. But uh, but this is the culture up here. This I just want to paint a little bit of environment of, of how I went... F- to, uh, yesterday to go meet Daryl uh, in Tower, Minnesota, and I also want to paint a little environment about this region up here, a very special region in, in North America, uh, in northern Minnesota. Um, what else to say? Uh, you know, there's other elements in here, I think, that are, that are really remarkable uh, as we talk about the technology of burning wood. I find it fascinating. If it's a little geeky for you, that's okay. Uh, we don't get too geeky about it, but um, you know the idea of about a Akuma wood-burning sauna stove is that you can enjoy a 180-degree, 200-degree sauna uh, with just an uh, an armful of firewood that's that you bring in under your arm as you go and and light your sauna. Uh, I live it. I have two Kuma stoves. I live this. I go and light the stove with three, four sticks of firewood using three, four sticks of firewood, and I may throw one stick in after round one or round two. And it's the real deal. Uh, Again, and you'll hear this, but Daryl was into green before there was green. Um, If you sit there and imagine what it's like chopping cords of firewood, cutting, splitting, stacking cords of firewood in the wintertime, it doesn't take uh, a, a creative person to think, well, maybe if we make the wood burning process more efficient we will need less wood uh this this was a natural evolution to his his way of going Uh, this this diy work ethic that he has uh was to create a better burning stove and uh 
Daryl was very um, uh, quiet uh, about uh, sharing more information about his certifications, but you will soon see uh, some amazing stuff about his burn rates and the creosote and the smoke um, tests, the, these these efficiency tests that he's undertaking. Um, and it's expensive as hell to do these tests to get certification and and that whole deal. But he's doing it. He's taking the high road. He's taking the good road. Um, a lot of sauna stove wood sauna stove uh, makers. You know wh whether they're sauna stoves or just wood burning stoves. A lot of these these folks aren't going through the process of certification, but Daryl is, and uh, his numbers are unbelievable. Um, uh, in terms of wood burning efficiency. So anyway, I thought I'd share some of that stuff with you guys in advance. And, um, uh, I'm just real excited. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I've launched sauna talk. Uh, Daryl was on my short list of people to interview. I find him to be a very special person. Um, anybody traveling through tower, Minnesota, maybe give him a call and, uh, and check out his factory. You walk in the lamp manufacturing, uh, factory. It's a small factory. I don't know the square footage, but it's very efficient in size. But you go stand in there, <clears throat> and there's nothing in that factory that will give you any indication that it's the year 2016. I mean, it is a throwback facility toward uh, welding, assembling. It's a hardcore manufacturing facility, a timeless facility. Uh, it's super clean. Uh, there was no manufacturing going on the afternoon that I was there. There was actually a UL certifier guy coming through town. So Daryl was uh, was doing clerical work, most seemed to me, most of the day. Uh, I didn't see a lot of hardcore manufacturing going on, but I've been in there when it's been full-on uh, uh, production. And um, anyway, so the place is super clean. Uh, it's super old school. And I love to see it in America. And you'll hear Daryl talk about buying American, and the and and people want to know where they're buying stuff. And every stove that comes off comes out of that factory has got uh, Daryl's name on it, and he has a deep pride in uh, in what he's invented, what what he's created, what he's tinkered with for 35 years, and uh, you know his uh, his quality and name and pride is is on every stove so it was it was a super special moment for me to shoot the breeze with him uh i'm not trying to brag but i've seen him around other people and i i don't see him as as open as he was with with me yesterday i i've known him for over 25 years i don't think anybody's bought more wood burning sauna stoves uh than me from daryl i've i have two myself I've built about 10, 12 saunas. Every sauna that I've built for other people has got the Kuma stove in it. Anybody who owns a Kuma stove understands the quality of the heat and, and how great it is uh, to take a sauna and a Kuma stove. So, so I think that background afforded me you know, a little bit of, uh, of Daryl being a little more relaxed uh, and open. Um, and so I think that's a treat. And you guys are going to get to hear it. You're going to hear... Uh, uh, Daryl Lampa, uh, uh, an amazing guy. Uh, his whole life, he's been welding, making stoves, tinkering, fine-tuning his design. It's what his father did, and it's what his father's father did. So, hey, Daryl, how you doing today? How's everything going? Really good. Really busy. 
yeah. Almost old, a lot of furnaces to make. And it's a pretty warm day. Uh, it's amazing. You know, our, uh, my cabin is probably as the crow flies, only about five miles from where we're sitting at the Lampa Manufacturing World Headquarters on Pine Island. I had a great visit to come see you. The weather's gorgeous. It's a beautiful summer day. And, and what are you doing today? What am I doing? I'm trying to finish up the day of work. And uh, maybe this evening I'll sit around a little bit. That's about all. Yeah, and you got this wise-ass guy from Sauna Times coming in stealing. <laughs> well, I've got I've got uh, a lot of things to get ready all the time for not only the furnaces but the sauna stoves too. Yeah, it's it's a busy world you live. I mean, this is what you get when you own your own business and you're the owner-operator. Yeah, you're pretty well tied down. I'll tell you what, if you're in a small business and you don't uh, put the time in, you your business usually folds up. You're you're what they call married to the to the business. Yeah, I've often heard that term. Uh, you know, when you own your own business, you need to be prepared to be the first guy there in the morning and the last guy to shut off the lights, right? And after 35 years, it gets hard to do. <laughs> yeah, 35 years. So let's dive into that. Um, tell us about your history, where you were born, your ancestry, your grandfather, your father. Give us, uh, listeners, a little bit of background about yourself and Lampa Manufacturing and starting with your grandfather. Well, my grandfather came over from Finland. His name was Richard Lampa. And then uh, the Lampa clan more or less started. They moved to Embarrass, Minnesota. That's where my dad and my uncles and stuff were from. They had, I think, what, seven or eight kids. And uh, as far as, you want me to talk about songs, those? Well, keep, keep it going about <laughs> your well, grandfather made Well, my grandfather, he was known in Embarrass as the probably the top welder around because he worked in the shipyards in Duluth at first and was one of their top welders. And then when he uh, was able to get into the mine, he was working at Erie Mining and he was known then as the top welder at Erie Mining Company. About when was that? Jeez, I don't know. That's It's about, you're looking at uh, maybe 70, 80 years ago. That's when he started making sauna stoves, 70 years ago. Did he make sauna stoves on the side? Yes, a lot, around the Embarrass area and, and throughout this area, a lot of people wanted a, a richer lamp, a sauna stove, because he knew he was such a good welder. And I'll tell you what, that I've uh, something really interesting happened about a year ago, and I don't know if I told you about that. I had a guy call me from Lake Vermilion, and I know the guy really well, and he called me up and said, you know what, I've got... In my old sauna, one of your grandpa's oldest stoves ever made. In fact, he said, I think it's the first one he ever made. Do you want to buy it for $25? And I said, yeah. I said, well, how do you know it's from Richard Lampa? He said, because he took a welding rod and welded the word Steam King on the front of it with welding rod. And I've got that stove outside that I'm going to probably refurbish, you know, get it painted up and stuff and, and show people, here's the original stove that my grandfather started with. And if he could see the way it's made now compared to what he made, and you could see the way the welding was then with the regular stick weld compared to now with the wire feed welding, I think he would he would probably turn over in his grave. <laughs> more or less. Turn over from, from what? From how well they're made now compared to what he had. And, and at that time, he was considered the top welder around. And so welding has gotten better? Oh, yes. You know, with, with uh, wire feed welding, you're going to get your a lot cleaner weld. You don't have the slag to worry about. 
you got continuous weld. You don't get tired doing it. You can run a whole seam uh, and, without stopping. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're w- with a stick, you got to stop. You got to knock the slag off. Then you got to start again. So you, you got uh, interruptions. Right Is stick welding still still done to this day? Or well, no, it's 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 pretty well obsolete because, like I say, and then uh, not only that, but when you're welding with a stick welder, you have a lot of smoke. And then when you start pounding the slag loose, you get stuff flying all over the place. It's messy. It's dirty. It's t- more time consuming. Uh, the wire feed welding has really changed the way uh, products are made so much more in speed. Now even a lot of these companies, not only with the, with the wire feed welding, but they've got robotic welders. That's right. That they, they set it up where they got a, a robot that takes that stove or whatever you're doing and turns it to a position and then it just runs the seam for you and it's just perfect welds then. Have you been doing wire feed welding your whole career? Uh, I did some stick welding about 35 years ago when my dad was teaching me how to weld. And my dad got taught by his his dad. Because my dad was a pretty good welder at one time, but his eyes are pretty bad right now. But anyway, uh, I picked it up then. And then we brought then when we started going into kind of production, you want to speed things up. I had a guy that was a millwright, and he was the first guy we hired. And then he introduced us to, to wire feed welding because he had used them in his in his line of work so catching up with the chronology this your grandfather he worked uh in in the steel shipyards Mm -hmm. and then erie and then he was making stainless stoves on his side all by him you know at his place in embarrass all the time amazing so uh what is your earliest memory of your grandfather and maybe as it relates to stainless stove making or or i used to see him and my dad welding those stainless stoves in the garage and we'd go play at my grandmother's or i used used to stay there in the winter, uh, summertime with my cousin, because he, he was there quite a bit too. We'd stay there for two, three weeks at a time at Grandpa Richard's and, and Grandma Rose's. And uh, they were in the garage welding stoves, uh, fixing things for other people. Like one of my uh, dad's uncles said, I, I'm trying to think of he said, it's not only welded good when Richard Lampa gets done, it's welded forever. That's what he told me. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. That's, That's awesome. That's he was known, you know, that just the, one of the greatest welders around, and he was good, I know that, but it was with stick. Were you born in Embarrass or Tower? I was born in Virginia. No, I was born, I was born in Sedan. I was born in Sedan, Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, when did you first get a sense that, making and welding uh, sauna stoves, you know, that this was going to be your life passion? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know if it's a really a passion, right? You know, you got to be dedicated to it. But uh, I, when I when I started with the stoves, I would say when this, um, what, which war would that be? Is the, uh, the Great War? No, 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 no. The war that... Uh, when they were going to blow the oil, George Bush Sr. was the president then. Or, uh, was the it first Iraq War, maybe? Gulf, Gulf War? Yeah, Gulf War. Okay. Yeah, that's when it started. Well, <clears throat> up until that point, my dad and Richard were making sauna stoves, and I really wasn't interested in that much. But when that Gulf uh, War came and, and the prices of oil and stuff went up, well, then that's when I was building my house, and I put a wood stove in at the same time and then i had a chimney fire one night and my dad also noticed that these stoves that were being sold that you know they weren't the cleanest burning they had creosote problems and we decided that you know if we're going to keep burning wood we're going to design a better way to do it and that's when i kind of really got interested in and when i was at the same time when this was happening i was actually going to college at umd 
and I was hauling milk at the same time. And I had a lot of customers in Babbitt and Aurora, Minnesota, you know, like 200 in each town. And what I did was my dad kind of thought of an idea that maybe we could burn wood cleaner. And we designed our first Kuma stove at that time. Not a sauna stove, but a regular furnace because we wanted to replace the ones that we had that we thought were terrible. And we, we were going to quit burning wood. After I had that chimney fire and he noticed how dirty it was, we were going to quit burning wood. And we did, then we decided that if we could make our own that was better, that we would uh, design our own and then put them in our houses. So that's what we did. We designed our own and uh, we came, came up with this Kuma idea of burning the wood cleaner with the baffle system and getting rid of the smoke. Uh, the smoke would disappear pretty much. And uh, what I did is then I took and we made, I made a brochure because uh, we were going to kind of start a business on the side. Mm-hmm. And I made a brochure, and it wasn't very fancy. Or anything, and I passed them all to all my milk customers <laughs> on the route. And then we started getting orders. And then what we did is we set up a stove in my dad's garage, and I had all these people with a date and a time written on there, and it was on a weekend. And I had all, my, all kinds of customers were coming off my milk route and we're ordering stoves by looking at the one we had burning in my dad's garage. And that's kind of where it started. I, and it wasn't sauna stoves at first for me. Right. My dad and Richard was sauna stoves. But we went into the furnaces during that Gulf War uh, deal because we wanted to get our own that was cleaner burning. At that time, uh, a lot of people were using oil as, as a heat source, right? Yeah, but the price was going up there because it was getting a squeeze on the, on the oil. Mm-hmm. And it was driving people to burn wood. A lot of those people that burnt wood then do not burn wood now at all. This had to be what? Uh, why do Why do I remember? I think I bought my first sauna stove from you in 1989. Could that be right? Well, it could be. I think we we started. We were making sauna stoves after not that long after we designed our own furnace. Yeah. We would make sauna stoves too because my dad was still getting calls for it. My grandpa Richard. I don't know if he was even still alive at that time. Tell you the truth, mm-hmm. he might have been. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. So the the wood burning stove for the house that came first the furnace stove and then well, the, the sauna stove came first with my dad and Richard, mm-hmm. but for me it was the furnaces first, and then once we started making these furnaces, my dad was still getting you know calls for sauna stoves, right. so then we started kind of threw those in with the mix too, and then I started going with the sauna stove, and we figured well, if we can make these wood furnaces burn cleaner. Mm-hmm. Why not do something better for the sauna stoves rather than having more like a barrel stove, which is very inefficient, because that's what my Grandpa Richard's stoves basically were. And I'll show you the one I have outside after, that it's basically a barrel stove with just rocks around it. That's right. It's not airtight. It doesn't have a baffle system in it. Right. You don't get the secondary burn. You don't get rid of the, you don't get rid of the smoke very well. Right. But they were great for the saunas. And, and, and something that was kind of funny was my dad, when he was growing up, Everybody in Barris had a sauna, you know. And like I said, Richard was making a lot of these stoves. But my dad said his original uh, deal with saunas was, when he was young, he had to go into a sauna that was called a smoke sauna. Mm-hmm. So there was no no exhaust. The, right. the smoke was right in that sauna room. Yep. He said it would print or choke you, but it, <laughs> I guess some people liked it because they were a lot of them were doing it that way that's right they call it a savu sauna yeah, have you heard that term no i haven't heard that term but i know that he said he's been in them and he didn't like it either <laughs> <laughs> that's funny back, so back to the development of clean burning um uh, for how many years well you're still tinkering with the, the yeah. burn aren't you daryl well not so much anymore but it was 35 years ago when so, we started making stoves furnaces 
Yeah, and I want to get a, fitch, uh, a a photograph of your your graveyard. I call it that that spot in the back there where you have all of these components that you've welded and all of this trial and error over thirty five years to um, work with the the burn inside the stove. You've tinkered with it with different elements and components, and I I got to get a picture of some of those parts. I'll tell you, you know, like what really did it was in my dad's garage we had the, the you know test model stoves as we were going and we would spend hours in there my dad was a county commissioner at that time and and also the mayor and he wasn't in there as much as i was but i'd get a fire started and i we had a we put a peak hole on the top of it so we could actually look down in the firebox and see how the gases were burning how much turbulence we had how our baffle system was working what, what we wanted to change and what we didn't want to change and what i would do is i'd start a fire get it going, watch it for a while. And if I did, wasn't happy, I would take and shut the stove off and take that wood that was still on fire out of it, put it in the garbage can, and the whole garage was full of smoke and haul it outside and let it cool off and start another fire because I'm the kind of guy that's not going to sit around and wait another eight hours or so to, to start testing something else again. If I had a different idea that I, you know, and I didn't like what was going on, I would change it, and then I would start over again. I think a lot of the, a, a fair chunk of... Finnish Sisu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sisu, that's right. Tell us about that. How do you know about Sisu? I mean... Because my dad always said, you've got the Finnish Sisu, because otherwise, and he said, most normal guys aren't going to start turning the fire off, fill the whole garage up with smoke just to get a burn started faster, to yeah. try something else. Yeah. But that's what I did. Yeah. 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 I'm, Dedication. I'm, I'm real stubborn for yeah. that way, you know, and... Yeah. and uh, See, my dad is a chemistry and math teacher. He knows a lot about the way science works and stuff like that and formulas and oxygen and all that other stuff. But you got to have somebody that's got the driving force that's going to test all this stuff out. And I was the guy that was doing a lot of the testing, and he was the guy with a lot of the ideas. Oh, that's bad. I mean, we, we got a combination of both of our ideas and his, you know, mine and his, his both. So let's dive into a little bit of this. I, I know that some of the people listening here are, are chemistry based. You know, they, they know science, they know chemistry, and they are intrigued about burning wood and the science of burning wood. Let's really drill into this a little bit. Tell us, tell the listeners here a little bit about some of the um, hurdles that you've overcome and, and some of the challenges in these 35 years. What were your objectives specifically about clean burning wood? And what were some of these hurdles that uh, through all of this intensive testing, what are a couple of the hurdles that really propelled the Kuma stove to be as efficient as it is today? Well, the, one of the biggest hurdles is uh, uh, we started with the manual draft. And, you know, a manual draft is as the wood changes and if you've got your manual draft set at a certain level, how do you how do you uh, adjust it? You know you'd have to be constantly monitoring it. Well, our big thing was how do we develop a control that's going to know how to adjust the air differently because a piece of wood from one end to the other varies in chemical composition and moisture content, how many knots are in the wood. We had to design some. We had to figure out some way that we were gonna be able to, to do that automatically. And it isn't easy to do. <laughs> I mean, because nobody else has been able to do it besides us that I know of. What, what percent of, and, and there's, there's this key element about smoke. <clears throat> what percent of the BTUs in a stick of firewood is in the smoke? 
Well, two-thirds, up to two-thirds of the heat energy in a piece of wood are in the gases and the volatile liquids. And if you don't burn those, then you have a, it's, it comes out as smoke. So the closer you can get to burning those two-thirds uh, two of, of the valuable heat in wood, the more efficient it is and the, more sm or the less smoke you have produced. So you and your father in your garage, he's, he's got a lot of the science down. You have a lot of the mechanics of and the, the drive. And the drive of the yeah, trial that's and the error. That's the most important. You can have all the ideas you want. If you can't, if you can't uh, get them tested and verify what your, what your ideas are, it'll never happen. Yeah, talk is cheap, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so tell us <clears throat> specifically, what were a couple of the aha moments as you're burning wood and testing for creosote emissions, smoke emissions? You're, if I'm getting it right in simple terms, your objective over all these years with you and your father is to create a clean, burning, efficient stove, right. correct? And then relate that to the sauna stoves later on. Correct. So, what were a couple of the uh, uh, of the aha moments? The, well, the big the big thing is, like I said, we start with the manual draft. Okay, we're we're burning wood with the manual draft, and we'd adjust it. And then my dad, he's real observant. He goes outside and he says, "Something's going on here. The smoke disappeared for a while." And he said, "We what's what's causing that? You know?" And, and then I started getting real curious. And then I'd start monkeying around that draft, and and it would get a certain level, and pretty soon the smoke would disappear. Mm -hmm. And then we, and then after a while, the smoke would come back. Mm -hmm. And and you're trying to put two and two together. Well, what's causing it to get rid of the smoke at certain times, and then have a lot of smoke at other times? And then that drove us away from having a, just a manual draft on a furnace. Uh, the sauna stoves, a manual draft is still used because to get the automatic draft in a sauna stove is not going to be feasible with the price of it. Mm -hmm. You know, a computer alone yes. with the automatic air shutter. And there's no there's no need for it because the user is right near the stove through the whole sauna process, well, correct? And, and you're only burning it maybe one or two hours a night. And some people only go once a week. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, I know you go probably every night of the week. But there's I've got I've got a police chief in Cyan. He's got one of my stoves. He goes, he burns, uh, burns it every night. He's uh, selling every night of the week. He's got a bad back, mm -hmm. and I've got other people the same situation that they want to have a sauna every night. Right on. And your stove certainly holds up. I mean, the stove on Pine Island, five miles from where we're sitting. I was just doing a little bit of math on taking the boat over here. I mean, I put in that stove uh, 20 years ago. Now, granted, I'm not up a lot in the winter time, but that stove works as efficiently uh, and uh, and as well as the day I installed it. Yeah, we've made improvements on that stove even. Right now, there's stainless steel baffles in there instead of mild steel. Uh, smoke, the smoke collar now is stainless steel versus mild steel. Those are vulnerable areas that we've corrected as we've gone along. Well, I'll be sure and bring this stove back in and get a new one. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, if you buy another one, it'll have it in there. I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> so what I've, I've had people that, you know, if you, over, if you abuse a stove, just like a car or a vehicle, mm -hmm. You can't run them wide open all the time, even no matter how thick it is or how thick the metal is. But stainless steel baffle on the inside is a must because that way it doesn't flake, it doesn't deteriorate, and it, it'll pretty much last forever. Well, I agree with that. And what I do, and I know you don't like this, but I, off, I will always start my cabin sauna with the ash pan door open and get the fire <laughs> rolling your eyes, aren't you? Well, it's quicker that way, but it's, uh, if you forget it, then you can overheat it pretty easily. I agree. <clears throat> and if something comes up, 
you know, phone rings or whatever. You got the ash panel open or you go outside, somebody hollers or something, and then pretty soon you forget it and things start to get red hot. And that, whenever it gets red hot, the metal, you got a flaking of the metal and that's what you don't want. And it's like running a car. You don't run it down the road wide open because even a brand new car is only going to last a week or so without starting to get everything getting loosened up on it. Right. So in simple terms about the, the, the burning technology that you've harnessed, uh, as it relates to a sauna stove, uh, and I can tell you this as because I own two of your stoves, and I think those that are listening that have the Kuma stove understand and know it so well, and that once you get a fire started and you and you damper that properly, you go outside and you don't even know if it's burning or not. Yeah, there's very little smoke if you burn it right. The big thing is with the sauna stove and the same with our vapor fire is you get a front-to-back burn. That's key because if you get the whole log on fire at once, I don't care how much secondary air you have in there or how much turbulence, it's very hard to get the smoke to disappear. But if now if you can control the fire and keep it on the end of the logs like we do on all of our furnaces and sauna stoves, your chance of burning it more complete are increased a lot because you're only burning the end gases. You're not emitting all that stuff off every piece of wood. And, and you know, and another big thing is even in furnaces too, if you're able to heat a sauna room or your house by just burning the end of the log, why would you want to burn a whole piece of wood? You're saving the rest for later on. You know, on a sauna stove with a small firebox even, you can put a wood in there and it'll last five, six, seven, eight hours sometime. And our furnace will go 10, 12, 15 hours because you're only burning the end of the wood. So when you jumping around, but when you were a young guy and tinkering with the uh, the burning of, of the furnaces in your dad's garage, uh, that was an embarrassment when you were doing all no, that? No, it was in tower. In tower. Yeah. So we, all still you, got, we still got the chimney in there. So did all your buddies think you were a little crazy spending all that time in the garage? Oh, they probably did, but I think the neighbors thought I was more crazy because when I'd open that, that garage door and all the smoke would come flying out of there, they were wondering, you know, if they should call the fire department or something. But I'd just put it in the garbage can, close the cover, and it would kind of, it would die out, and eventually I'd empty that wood out of there and uh, throw, it, throw it away or whatever. Right. Or use it for the kindling for the next burn. That's right. It's, it's So all of that tinkering is, has created the technology of the Kuma stove that we as sauna stove users uh, can benefit from. And I often get asked a lot of questions about, you know, people building their own sauna, whether to feed from the inside, feed into the changing room, feed to the outside. And I would like to get your opinion on this one, Daryl. But, you know, what I've done with all of my sauna builds, including my own inside, and you said inside too, right? Well, inside the inside feed is, is probably the most efficient because you're going to capture all the heat in the heat room. If you go through the wall, either the dressing room or outside the sauna itself, that front face of that stove is is emitting most of the heat for the first half hour because you got a front-to-back burn, and that's either wasted to the world if it's outside or you're going to heat your dressing room up on the inside. My dad said, and even my old grand, my grandpa's, my mother's side and my dad's side both, when their saunas always fed the wood from the dressing room mm-hmm. because in a, they didn't have any other source of heat in the dressing room right. and that way the dressing room was heated up too but they would have to start burning wood at two in the afternoon to take a sauna at seven eight o'clock at night because they had so inefficient barrel stove type of stoves exactly and, they, and besides that they were wasting that heat into the dressing room or outside now i i do not like the outside feed outside because if you want to change the air or the amount of heat you're getting, you have to run outside and readjust that air up or down because it's a manual draft. 
And the other thing I don't like about it is I've had so many situations where people have the outside feed. They got kids that are running the stove. They get it hot at first. They go in to take a sauna, and they're in there thinking, well, geez, how come that stove is getting all red or it's getting so hot in here, you know, 200 degrees in here? Well, we gotta, but they don't want to go outside to change it, so they let it, they let it burn down, and pretty soon the stove was overheated, and sometimes it even damaged the stove. You know, and it's interesting, the outside feed is a holdover to a couple generations ago. Oh, where yeah. You know why? Because they used so much wood. Exactly. They didn't want to haul that wood into the, into the heat room because you got, you got, you got ashes and you got pieces of wood that fall on the floor. It's messier. But like I say, I don't like the outside feed because of the inefficiency. Mm-hmm. And then also if you want to change the amount of heat and, and adjust the air differently. Yeah. Now, I do like the, the situation where you go in the dressing room through the wall into to feed the stove because that way it heats your dressing room and if you want to change your air you just step in the dressing room and yes. adjust it up and down right on. and then you're also not going to bring any wood into the heat room so you don't have any mess in there right right but for most efficiency it's right in the heat room like glenn has it <laughs> yeah and that's how both of mine are and all the stoves i build for people or all the saunas i build for people i encourage and i do that i i'm not proficient at, at putting a firewall from a hot room to a change room it's just an area i don't want to go it's very expensive to do it just the extension alone is over a hundred dollars you got to put 16 inch of non-combustible around that op- around that uh, collar that extension that goes on the front of the stove then you have to put cement board on the inside wall going up to the ceiling you have to protect the ceiling with cement board, and you've got to have the right clearances on the sides. It's a, it's at least I would say, three to four hundred dollars more to get it done, especially if you have to have a mason that's going to put the cement work around that extension. So it's, it's very expensive and very time consuming. That's it doesn't true. look as good either because you got cement board all over the place. Yeah, yeah yes, yeah. and and uh, and I tell you, when you're feeding from the hot room, it looks beautiful on a cold winter's night to see that fire dancing yeah. with the new glass system. Yeah. You were mentioning about uh, you're selling a lot more with the little glass yeah. window, aren't you, Daryl? I say it's about fifty percent right now, and I'll tell you what the the ones that feed from the dressing room like to have the glass on there also because at the sound when the sauna is starting up they can see how to set the air mm-hmm. how it's burning yeah. and then when they're done taking their sauna they like to go in there and have a beer and watch the fire and see how it's going That's and true. it kind of lights up the dressing room and it's kind of it's kind of you know it's got its uh it's got its benefits for that yeah no no question and uh <clears throat> and that you're right about the benefit of having the glass it's not only an aesthetic thing but i like to look inside the kuma stove as you say as a fire is going yeah. And, and it's just mad. Yeah, it, yeah, you adjust the air better, and it's magical to see the smoke dancing into fire. You see this smoke turning blue, and you just know after after running uh, the Kuma stove for, for a while, you get this knack of adjusting that, that damper down, and uh, it's a beautiful thing to look see, in there. See, that's why our furnaces that do it automatically for you, that's why their efficiency is so high, and you get rid of the smoke because it's got a computer that knows what the – how to set the air for you yeah it does the it does the work of a manual draft but it's automatic right on and you have that little click uh to shut it down at the at when you put that manual oh, draft yeah, on, the, on the manual draft yeah if you shut it all the way down you it pretty well the fire will go out usually if you have it adjusted right yeah and i find the magical spot is just above the just click above the notch on the bottom yeah yeah, but first you got to get the wood hot so it wants air, and then you get the gases burning. And once the gas is burning, it doesn't take a lot of air, yep. especially if the wood is seasoned well. Now that now the air coming in there can be lessened, 
Yes. And then you get the, you get this dancing effect, like Glenn was saying, in front of that glass. You can kind of watch the gases burn. And the nice thing about it, too, is then you can see the fires kind of switch from more of the whole log burning to right to the front. Right. Then you know it's burning right. You get that front-to-back burn. And another trick is um, is when you're adding a, a stick of firewood is uh, always pull those coals forward. Why, why is that, Daryl? Because then you get the wood on fire in the front, and, and that's what you want. You want the end of the logs hot, wanting air, and you don't want the rest of the log hot. So if you have the coals all the way through the bottom, those coals get more of the wood on fire, and you get more smoke off the wood. One of the things also, uh, let's say it's a typical three-round sauna, and it's a typical January Minnesota day, and it's zero degrees outside, maybe 30, 40 degrees in the changing room, and you have a nice 170 Fahrenheit, maybe 180 Fahrenheit in the hot room. Well, you know, you normally would, you know, like uh, logic would say, oh, one more sauna round, one more stick of firewood. However, what I think is a magical uh, approach is you go in the hot room for your final round and generally all you need to do is just pull those coals forward and it basically buys you an extra round and saves you a stick of firewood there's so much heat retained in those slow burning coals well and the other thing too is that and that's why we make our sauna stoves out of brick lining because the bricks store heat and as it burns down to the coals you still have a lot of heat that's stored in those bricks that works their way out and that's uh, helping to heat the rocks and the room when the fire is, is down to coals. Yeah. And most sauna stoves are not brick lined. Ours is probably the only one that I know of. But the bricks are in there for a purpose. It keeps the wood off the walls, keeps the walls from getting uh, red hot and flaking, which mm-hmm. you don't want. And, right. and our walls are quarter inch thick to begin with. Yes. But they also store the heat so the gases burn better exactly. and you get a more efficient burn that way. Yep. Everything wins on, on that one. And it's got the baffle system, which is from the back forward, mm-hmm. so that you're always pulling the gases forward, mm-hmm. and you're not and you're not burning the whole log on fire. The, the heat and the gases are always pulling forward, Yeah. and that's, that's key to burning the wood. And then you get this turbulence of the air meeting the gases in the front as it burns the wood from the front to the back, and then you get the cleaner burn because of it. Here, here's, a, here's the two, uh, three key ingredients. You got to have the right air in the firebox, and that's you're in charge of it with a manual draft on the sauna stove. You got to have the turbulence where the air is meeting the gases and the liquids that are being emitted by the logs. And then the most critical thing is if you have to have that temperature. Without temperature, nothing, none of the reactions go forward. And that's where my dad was so valuable because he knows about chemistry and stuff like that, and about formulas. That you and he and he knows that you have to have temperature before anything else happens. That's the key to burning wood. You first temperature, then the gases and and the air has to meet the gases. Then you get the clean burn. This show is brought to you by Sun Country Airlines. Sun Country is staffed by cheerful humans, and wherever Sun Country flies, they are competitive and keep the airfare honest. So whether I'm checking out Temescal in Tulum or the Archimedes Banya in San Francisco. Sun Country Airlines is the first and last place I go for decent air travel. Maybe I told you about this one guy. Have you got it on though? Yeah, yeah, shoot. This one guy I have that has one of my sauna stoves. You know, most people like it anywhere from, my dad likes it about 140 to 160. Yeah. And I have one customer that he said he will not go in it. He bought the biggest one we make which is a large sauna stove, and his, his room is not that big, but he wanted to, his sauna room really hot. 
Well, he told me that he won't go into that room until it's 225 degrees, and he likes it at 250. That's crazy. And then, and then here's the here's the, the funny thing. I kept on calling him and referring to him to other people as this is the sauna king that, that I know of. He's a champ. Well, anyway, this past winter, I had a guy from Duluth that came in here to buy a heat shield for his sauna stove. And I just was asking him, you know, well, how do you like your sauna stove? He said, oh, I love it. He said, my wife and I, we love it. We get it to 300 in there. I told him, 300? I said, you're the new sauna king, man. I said, uh, this guy from Palisades, Minnesota, no longer is he the king. <laughs> so I, I, haven't, I haven't seen the guy yet that liked it at 250. When I see him next time, I say, you're not the champ anymore. <laughs> well, you know, you know, temperature really isn't the, the sign of a king. Yeah, yeah. I would say a sign of the king is how dedicated are you to sauna? <laughs> the steam. The steam is the most important thing. A lot yeah. of guys don't realize the steam is what people want. If you don't, if you don't want a lot of good steam, then buy just a, a regular um, heater. You know. Yeah, you got a sore back. I got a sore knee. Well, we're not getting any two? younger, are we? One or two. I got one sore knee. Which one you my my right knee. I don't know how it happened. Yeah, I think I need a sauna. What do you think? Uh, saunas <laughs> good for wellness, uh, and it loosens up your joints. I know a lot of I. Kn- I know a lot of people that say that if they don't, oh, I got a, I got a, a game warden here in Tower, yeah. that he takes a sauna every night because he's got a bad back and his wife has got a bad whatever. Mm-hmm. And he said if he doesn't take a sauna, he can't hardly get out of bed the next morning. So sauna does loosen up your joints. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are misled about saunas though because some guys think that a sauna is just going to be heat-related. But the key to the sauna, and that's why if you look up in the dictionary what a, a sauna really is, it's a steam bath taken in the finished matter. Well, if you don't get steam off your stove, what good is a sauna? That kind yeah. of that opens up your pores and really cleans you out. That's right what, that's a, that's the main thing with a sauna is, is your steam. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They, what do they call that? Uh, I forget. Loyal, 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 or Lolu. Loyal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did your dad used to say Lolu? Oh yeah. He knows all the Finnish words. I don't. <laughs> it was never passed on to the younger generation. Uh-huh. They used to talk it all the time when we go to grandma's for sauna every Saturday night. I'll tell you one thing, though. I myself, um, I mean, I like saunas to a certain degree. Uh, when when my kids had a choice of a sauna or a hot tub, they picked a hot tub, and we, were, we weren't going to have both because I know I had a sauna at my dad's anyway. He's got electric in the basement, one of ours, where you get a lot of great steam because the elements are protected. Yeah. But I myself, I got I got turned off to saunas when I was young, and I'll tell you why. Every Saturday night, we had to go to Grandma Anna's or Richard's for sauna, okay? And when we had five kids in the family, and we were young, you know, two, three, four, five years old or whatever, we were all young kids at that time. And we'd go in there with my mother and dad, and my dad wanted to get the kids out of there quick, you know, soap them up, get them out of there, get them, get the steam out, you know, get the steam going. and A, a functional sauna. Yeah, get them, get them cleaned up and get the kids out of there so they can go in the house and have, and have treats or whatever, and mom and I will take a sauna after. Well, when he's doing that all the time, he's getting soap in our eyes. And he had half of the kids, we had five kids, half of us were crying in there because we had soap in our eyes. And I used to hate to go to <laughs> grandma's for sauna for, until I got older, then I started liking them again. But for a while there... You mentioned sauna to me, and I started running the other way. 
That's great. Yeah, really. I mean, I'll tell you, my brothers and sisters remember the same thing. And then when we start crying sometimes, he'd get mad and give us a whack on the hind end, you know. <laughs> that sounds like Finland. That sounds like the same in Finland as Tower, Minnesota. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was a ritual to go every Saturday night for sauna. And then, like I say, we got, we got kind of turned off from it because of the soap and, and, and him getting mad sometimes. Let's talk about Tower, Minnesota. Uh, this has the continental U.S. record, coldest day, February 4th, I want to say. February 2nd, 1996, my son's birthday. And I remember it very well because I took, my wife and I took his classmates, because he was 16 then, to Virginia to the bowling alley on that night. It was, you know, 60 below, minus 60 below. And it was his he had just taken his driver's test that same day and believe it or not he took the car out that night and smashed it twice because of ice black ice no it was he didn't you know some kids get an idea they, they just got to get a license they know how to drive well he backed up into the gas pumps at the gas station for one then on the way home he put the car in the ditch and wrecked the front end of it <laughs> and he put it in the garage at night he woke up in the morning and i went i asked my wife i said Wondered all Garrett did last night with the car. She said, well, I don't know. You have to go ask him. So I went in the bedroom, and he didn't say much. So I went in the garage, and I almost fell over. The car was all dented up and everything else. But anyway, I remember that night very well because the next day I came to work then also, somebody called me up and said, do you know that Hoppas, which was our official weather station right outside the tower here where it was 60 below, they had taken driven a carrot into a log just like a spike. Mm -hmm. They hammered it in there. And the embarrassed guy was there, and the tower guy was there, or the Kathy Hopper was there, and I guess the embarrassed thermometer bottomed out and it broke because they thought they had the record, and we actually had the record because our thermometer didn't break. They still to this day say that embarrassed was colder than tower. Yeah. There's a big argument, yeah. and they can't stand to see these T-shirts running around saying tower is the coldest place in, uh, in Minnesota with the record, you know, because right. they feel they got the record. And at that time, you th this is the environment I want some of these uh, listeners to understand is if you can imagine that kind of cold. Well, first of all, to imagine that kind of cold, anybody listening uh, that has ever experienced zero degrees Fahrenheit can understand how friggin' cold that is. Okay. Zero degrees Fahrenheit is about as cold as you can ever imagine. Zero degree Fahrenheit is when you go outside to go ice skating or cross-country skiing or what have you, you got to be like covered up. That's zero degrees Fahrenheit. Now, if you add 60 degrees, to, you're going to have like t-shirt and shorts just about. You can go golfing in 60 degrees in shorts. So that's that extreme to the warmth. Now, take zero degrees Fahrenheit and subtract 60 degrees. That, I, I hope I'm framing it up properly, how friggin' cold that is. That's very cold. And the thing is, too, if you have any wind, I think there was a little breeze that night, too. Somebody told me, I'm not positive, that it was either 90 or 100 below that day with the wind. Because I remember coming out of that bowling now that night. It was blowing, and it got to 60 below that night. So I know... There was a wind to begin with, but I don't know if it lasted all night or not when they did the... I'll tell you what, the weatherman from, I think it was Channel 6 and somewhere else, they actually stayed the night at Hoppa's in these shelters because they knew it was going to be a near record, and it was. Yeah. They were there, they were there to witness it. It wasn't just uh, somebody, you know, yeah. the weather gal saying, oh, it was 60 below. She has proof because they were actually there. The weather station was right there with them. 
And so, you know, where I live in the winter, I mean, I'm not out on Pine Island on Lake Vermilion. There's there's not much life to be had in wintertime on Lake Vermilion. You'll see some snowmobiles going across or whatever. But I, I was in Minneapolis for that, three and a half hours south. And as I think about Minneapolis winters, I mean, anybody listening that, you know, is from Minnesota or knows Minnesota, you know, Minneapolis is really cold winters. But you go three and a half hours north to Tower, Minnesota, and you have a new experience of what cold is, right, Darrell? Oh, that's for sure. I mean, and where I live at the lake in McKinley Park, any wind with that kind of temperature, and it is, because I get a northwest wind blowing into my into my house, and and it's brutal. And, <laughs> and describe as right, brutal. And this these brutal conditions are the conditions in which you uh, have been tinkering and for thirty five years have been developing a clean, efficient wood burning stove. This is what I think is so remarkably significant about the work that you do is you understand cold and you understand the need for wood heat. And this is the the deal. As you drive down these roads here in in northeast Minnesota, whether you're in Ely or Tower or in the rural areas, you see you know big long stacks of firewood. People take wood burning very seriously up here. Yeah, that's for sure. But uh, the thing about our furnace and and even our sauna stoves is that you don't want to have a stove that's producing a lot of smoke and have to worry about chimney fires. You don't want to have a stove that uh, burns real hot for only a few hours and have to load it every two, three hours. Yeah, yeah. You don't want a stove that's going to have these highs and lows, you know, real lot of hot heat in the house for 80 degrees, and then pretty soon you you got to be down refiring because your temperature is down. What we were after was the clean-burning yeah. furnace and then also a clean-burning sauna stove so that you get more even heat for a longer period of time, less chance of getting uh, creosote fires, and you don't have to be messing around with it so often. Right? Yes, and, and how about this? I mean, I can imagine you as a young guy, you know, scratching your head, looking at these super huge stacks of uh, firewood to help people carry through the winter. And, you know, how, how about a different approach? How about we need less wood? I mean, you were into green before the term green even existed. Well, we wanted to, you know, minimize the amount of wood and maximize the heat off every piece of wood. And that's what we've done because... Uh, we got a real low stack temperature on our furnaces. It's only a couple hundred degrees on the inside of the flue. And, uh, you know, any cooler stack, you would actually have water water dripping out of your pipes because if you have a smokeless burn, what you're getting is carbon dioxide and water vapor. And that water vapor has to stay over 212 degrees until it hits the air outside or it's going to form, it's going to start running in your pipes. It's going to be running on the floor behind your stove. So you want to always be at least maybe 220, 250 degrees minimum. And maximum, you don't want to be much over 300 because then you're wasting heat up the chimney. Amazing. So we're staying in between there. You know, on the high burn, we're, you know, 300-some degrees. And then on the low burn, we're down near the 212. And that's the sweet spot. Sweet spot. Burning wood, actually, if you really think about it, is just like a baseball bat. You know how a baseball bat is? You can hit it. If you hit it on the bat too low or too high, you get a real bad vibration on your hand and the ball doesn't go anywhere. But you hit that sweet spot on the bat and now the ball takes off and it just, you don't even feel it. It feels nice and soft and, and it, it just sails. Same thing with burning wood. Wood wood is a sweet spot of burning wood. Either you're burning the wood too hot or, or too cool. 
and you want to be in between the two extremes and that's what this furnace does but you it's hard to do with a manual draft you can do it fairly well with a sauna stove but you're guessing because you don't know the exact amount of air or the temperature of the firebox but our furnace knows what it is and self-adjust, and then you get the cleanest burn that you can possibly get. Well, Daryl, don't sell us sauna enthusiasts short. We once once you, you get a Kuma stove, yes, yeah, you play with it. You start it open, start the baffle thing open, and then and then uh, when I go in for round one, and I think anybody listening that has a Kuma stove understands this, you can idle that thing down, and you can regulate very simply with a quick little adjustment. You can have that hot room exactly the temperature you want it well, to be in. That's where the glass window on there comes in handy because you can kind of watch all the fire is doing it's hard to it's hard to guess and and judge it sure. if you don't have the glass window on there would you allow someone to bring their door in and put a glass window in after the fact or is that not a doable thing well i've done it before but it's it it's an expensive deal it's real messy and, and it's hard to do um yeah. sometimes they change the door right out and get it to fit the other way will work out too yeah i have a lot of people on sauna times write to me and they're like uh you know they're really in a debate whether to go with an electric stove or a wood burning stove and and i'm and then when you drill into the issues about a wood stove one of the concerns is i really don't want to mess with the wood but what what i uh share with them quite honestly is you can take a good sauna with two or three friends coming over on a winter's night <clears throat> with just a, an armful of wood under under your arm. I mean, three, four sticks to get it going, maybe one, two, and it'll carry you for a three-hour sauna session. Yeah. And that's the efficiency of, of the Kuma stove. I'm like, I'm, I'm still working. I have so much wood in my backyard, Daryl. Yeah. I, have, I have enough to carry me through probably two winters in, in Minneapolis because of the efficiency of, of, of the burn. And, and that's when, getting back to the point, you were into green before green was green. That's probably true. But you know, like I said, 35 years ago, we had that problem with, with our furnaces, and we did not want to burn wood if we are going to have creosote. And, and we found out, and you know, the th thing is, too, we noticed that whenever the smoke disappeared, you didn't have any creosote. Right. And we started putting two and two together. But to, to get it so that you get rid of the smoke all the time is another another thing you know it's not not that easy to do uh, understood so you're an innovator in that realm uh you know efficiency green um you know wood is a renewable resource uh if you can heat with wood and heat efficiently uh and staying off uh you know oil or or gas uh, it's a it's a better way to roll um but uh, the other area where you're quite unique is uh you were into this dealer you know the manufacturer direct sales before there was even the internet, uh, you never chose in terms of sales and marketing of of your product, Daryl. As a self-made businessman uh, running your own facility here, as you considered in the early days going to market, you never decided to sign up dealers and stuff. You were always selling direct. Is that is that right? Well, we were so small, we still are. And if you go through dealers, you have to have a lot bigger building. You have to have a lot more employees. Uh, you're, you're not going to make as much per unit. And really what happened is, too, the Internet made it possible where you can go right to the customer. I mean, I don't know when this came into effect, but it was maybe, what, 20 years ago where inter the inter inter Internet came into play. Before that, you know, you could advertise in magazines and you'd get calls and stuff, but with the Internet you can reach so many people and, and people uh, browse that Internet now for products 
and you don't really need dealers. Well, I mean, uh, the customer ends up paying more if you go through the dealer anyway, because the the dealer is going to always. We have to get so much, otherwise you can't stay in business. And then he's going to add another thirty percent or whatever on there, so they're always going to be higher priced that way too. This way here, the people can. I've had so many people that have called me after say, "Oh, I'm talking to the guy that invented." <laughs> you don't get that. I usually get. Uh, press but this button, or you wait for number one or two, or you know, and they and it, it really shocks them. I've had guys on a Saturday call me and and ask a question about the furnace. They say, "Who is this?" I give them my name. They say, "You're the boss." I say, "Yeah." I can't believe I'm talking to you on a Saturday. I said, "Well, I'm still working here, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm out here all the time, more or less." Does it <laughs> Does it bother you when the phone rings, Daryl? Not really. No, it's all right. I, I answer most of the customer service. I got a couple guys that pretty well know what's going on, too. They can answer some of the questions, but the more detailed ones and, and uh, stuff like that, then I take care of them. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. I mean, I, I call and you answer, and you're right. It's an amazing thing in this day and age how complicated businesses well, it's it's because you're small, but you're it's also because your name is on every stove that goes out of this yeah. this building, and you 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 value and welcome engagement from your customers, and and it's a simple it's a simple statement, but it's amazing how as companies get bigger and they get more and more layers, how detracted they are from actually communicating with the customer, but you not you. Yeah, they they lose that direct contact. People like that, but it's it's very you get that very seldom nowadays. What's a common question that a potential customer has for their sauna stove? What, what's a common question? Well, we've got three models there, and the first thing they always ask is which size they're going to have to get. And generally, it breaks down to if it's eight by eight or less room, eight foot by eight foot, uh, standard height. Then they'll go to the small one, or the medium is up to a ten by ten room, and the large is if it's bigger than that. So, and that's what that's the first question. Yes. And uh, what size wood burning stove? First question. What's the second question? Uh, the clearances, that's very important because if you don't have the right clearance, then your insurance isn't going to cover it. And then a lot of the questions nowadays too are whether it's been uh, tested to UL so that the clearance I do give them are the proper ones. And <clears throat> don't you think a lot of the customers are asking that because they want to get uh, uh, the building permit and oh, yeah. code? And building permit, and they also want it covered in case something happens if it burns down. Through the insurance man. Through the insurance man, right. right on. So UL certification. But you have all of that information about clearances and that jazz on your website, correct? Well, we do, and we got a, it's in the owner's manual also. It's on the sticker. There's a UL sticker that goes on every stove, too. So there's three places where they can actually see the, the clearances. Are other sauna stoves UL approved? I don't I don't think so. A lot of, I don't think too many of them are because a lot of guys have called from California or Air, Arkansas and in different states that say that they can't find a UL approved sauna stove. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I did it, to do that. And it was very expensive. I think it was like $20,000 by the time I got done. Yeah. And, then, and then after that, we had, had the same stove tested with the glass so that people could get a glass window to view it. And that costs an extra $5,000 also. That thing's still recording? Yeah, we're still doing oh. good. A couple more questions for you. So the UL listing was an important direction, and uh, and and you don't know if other finished stoves. Let me just are. tell you one thing. After I had it tested and I posted it on the internet, I've had other sauna companies call me up and say, "You had it tested for UL?" I said, "Yeah, we're not going to do that. 
we're not you don't need to do that i said hey if if their insurance is going to cover it it has to be done but a lot of them just said you know that they're, they're going to bypass that and i don't know why i suppose the money situation was the problem you gotta be willing to spend the money to, to make it happen and your u.s manufactured many sauna stoves for sale in north america are made in other countries yeah. and they don't know ul from adam do they i don't know but uh people like american made there's too much uh, imported goods now, and people are getting kind of tired of it. Um, if you take a go in some of these bigger stores and stuff, you start looking at the labels. Most of the stuff is either China or Mexico, and uh, people don't like it. If they can get something American-made that's got high quality and built good, they would rather they would more willing to pay a little bit more for it and get a better product nowadays. And that's the name of our game is quality over quantity. Well, one of the uh, barometers of quality is is weight. I mean, you don't <clears throat> you don't put any extra metal in your stove, but that stove it takes a couple three guys to carry that stove if you're going to move it. And if you don't have a dolly, you you better not be hernia prone. How, how much does your small Kuma wood burning stove weigh, Daryl? When we ship the small one with the pellet, it's four hundred. The medium is four fifty. And the large one is 500. With the bricks? With the bricks in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you knock, you'll probably knock about 75 pounds off each stove when the brick are out of there. But we ship them with the bricks. The brick lining are important. Like I said, it protects the walls, stores the heat, and the latent heat that's stored in those bricks can heat a sauna, like Glenn said, for the third round sometime. Yeah. So <clears throat> this is a, a, an obvious question, and I'd like to hear it, and, and you know, you answer it. But if a customer said, well, if your stove is 400 pounds and this other wood-burning sauna stove you can bring in with, you know, tuck under your arm, why is your stove better? Because you want it thick enough so it doesn't uh, warp so bad. When you get, when you, most saunas that people take, they want quick heat, fast heat, and they tend to overburn them a little bit. And if you have a stove that's made too thin, it uh, it's like a tin can it just crumples right up and exactly. and and then they've got to be buying a new one <laughs> right on and then well there's the longevity and the quality and all that but there's also it's a it's a better heat when you have all of that mass that gets up to temperature you feel it in your bones daryl yeah and it stores the heat almost like the like the bricks do the more thicker it is the more it, it retains so and you know it's for durability it's the most important thing i would say how many pages is your owner's manual, Daryl, for the for the sauna stove? I think it's like 25 pages. Did you write it? Yeah, I wrote it. Uh, the, the, you all gave me the, all the information that had to be in there, and then I wrote it and drew all the diagrams. Eventually, I'll have them, have them drawn by somebody that's, uh, what do they call it, a CAT, CAD machine? Yeah. CAD machine. I did my uh, owner's manuals for my furnaces with a CAD machine now, and it, they, they each cost about $5,000, so I got to kind of space them out a little bit. I can't do them all at one time, but I will have my sauna stove. A lot of guys will say, gee, some of those drawings look like they're hand-drawn. I said, yeah, I, I drew them. <laughs> so they are uh, to, to this day, uh, but I will have them done by a professional later on. And you wrote the 24-page manual by hand. Yeah, I wrote it, yeah. So if you buy a Kuma stove, you're getting Daryl's writing. And his drawings. I don't know how many manufacturers can claim that. that that's real DIY, isn't it, Daryl? Tell, tell us about DIY. You know, do it yourself. DIY. You know, there's people listening in California and, you know, big cities and places. You know, I, I'm more of a 218er, meaning I, I have paid, I'm a 
property taxpayer from St. Louis County longer up here than I have been in Minneapolis. And there's a real difference between the Iron Range and the DIY work ethic. You in your garage. I mean, you know, I'm not going to put you in this in the same league as uh, as maybe uh, Steve Jobs. But you know, there's a guy in you know a, a tinkering in his garage, much like yourself. Granted, he was making computers. You were making wood burning stoves. But this DIY ethos, I mean, it's it's prevalent up here more than anywhere I've been. You want to comment about what DIY means to you? Well, like I said before, you've got to, if you've got an idea and you have a lot of drive, you've got to check it out. And that's what I've done. And my dad, uh, he had a lot of ideas, but he wasn't going to, he didn't have the time to check them out because he was a county commissioner and a mayor at that time. And I had... Uh, you know, I was I had the time to do it, so I and I've got the drive, so I did it. Do you notice people like that, like other? You know, I I joke about Joe Saliga, a canoe maker. He designed all his own. Is there another name or two of people like like? Do you know what Ryan's Rustic Railings? Have you ever heard of him? Or or <clears throat> is there another name or two of of compatriots like yourself in other sectors guys that have tinkered in their garage have made something unique uh something from the iron range that perhaps uh you know only exists because of that commitment and drive and dedication that you're talking about any other names of 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 fellow uh diy folks like yourself anyone else come to mind well i would the only one i can think of offhand would be this guy that invented these um, docks on Lake Vermilion, these lift docks. Yeah. His name was Lloyd, Lloyd Bullard. Yeah. And this guy here, uh, when he, wor he worked at the mine as a welder at Erie, I think it was. And then he was at the lake making docks for everybody under the sun. Mm -hmm. But they said, this one guy that I was hauling milk to in Aurora told me, he says, this Lloyd Bullard was his boss at the mine. He said, you couldn't feed him the welding rods fast enough. That's how good of a welder he was. Tell uh, tell the listeners what was Lloyd's nickname. I can't remember. They called him the Bull. Oh. They called him the Bull, and, uh, and he built my dock 25 years ago. And in his late 70s, he was still very active, very active. That's one guy that I can think of that was kind of like a do-it-yourself and yeah. invented that dock system. Mm -hmm. And also, I think it was a rail system for for some people that have a rail system for their boats that go into garages and stuff. A guy not afraid to work. Oh, he was a hard worker. But there's other guys around, too. I'm, I can't think of any of them. Yeah, if any, if any come to mind. I just got a couple more quick questions for you. So, so Daryl, um, when you think about sauna, not when you were getting, um, you know, the soap in your eyes as a young kid, but, <clears throat> but as you think about the sauna experience, the sauna, a sauna session, what, uh, uh, you know, from firing up the stove to round one to when you, you know, tuck yourself into bed at night, what, what is your favorite part of a sauna session, would you say? I would say that uh, when you're in a sauna and after you get nice and steamed up and then you clean yourself off with the water and stuff, uh, water and soap up and then dump the pail of water over your head, you really feel good. Yeah. And when you go in the house at night, you get really relaxed and you feel so clean there it's a wellness thing with saunas <clears throat> i mean i like i like saunas for that the only thing is i had like i said i had that bad experience <laughs> with my dad when we were younger but uh now a sauna is a great thing i mean and and more and more people i'll tell you they just love them it's, we're uh, another question um 
these phones, the, the phone calls ring in, people interested, the internet, selling sauna stoves everywhere. Have you shipped sauna stoves to other countries besides the U.S.? Canada. And I think uh, there's a guy from New Zealand right now that wants one too. But oh, I've, I've got a, well, I've got another order that's going out to Hawaii. Yeah, I remember that. I got a guy in Alaska that I just built four mm -hmm. that are going to be shipped out this month to Fairbanks. Right on. And they they run fifty below all winter long up there. So, <laughs> that's great. but he said, oh, everybody, you know where he puts them? He puts them in the yurt saunas. Oh, okay. He's got one already. Yeah. And he said. He cannot find a stove built like that anywhere. No. He's looked and looked. He said, and and he's even he even tried to make heat shields for the one because the one he bought he didn't buy any heat shields. He was trying to save himself some money. Mm -hmm. He tried to make heat shields like we make them, and he he said he gave up. He ordered yeah. four stoves and eight heat shields, right. two for each stove. <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, that's what I tell people when they when they go to your website and they're asking about the stove and stuff. And I said, look, you buy this thing once go all in you know get i i recommend the aluminum water tank i think stainless. it's the stainless stainless, stainless steel water tank i recommend as a matter of fact and i don't know if you you would approve or disapprove daryl but i've had you know that that stainless steel water tank three quarters full of water and you know gone away in a winter's couple of days and come back and there's like six inch, inches of ice in there i thought for sure i'd be cracking that thing but it's never those welds have held up through all of that tension of ice in there i know you're cringing and i'm not proud to say that i've done that but never a leak in the, in that stainless steel water tank yeah the stainless steel water tank is meant to be drained when the weather gets below 32 because i've had a couple guys where the wells have never cracked but the stainless actually has developed hairline cracks from the expansion okay and i've had to patch a couple of them i understand they found they they found out quick that they've got to drain the water because that when that ice or the water um cools down and gets cold like that and forms ice it yeah it expands absolutely and it pushes out on it so i know i fixed I a know. few of those tanks and after I that bet. they've changed i bet i bet you have but you know so going around the stove the stainless steel water tank i recommend that and then you have a back uh the heat shield to the back and the heat shield to the other side and then get the glass treat yourself to that glass you think of all the dumb ways we can spend money, you know, going, it's the price of going out for a meal and you stare into that glass every time you take a sauna. And it's, uh, I recommend all of that stuff, not to, not just to, to create a higher price, but to create a higher value in the sauna stove. I recommend them all. Yeah, the heat shields are very important. They reduce the clearance by at least a half. Mm -hmm. Without a heat shield, you gotta have 38 inches of clearance and with the heat shield, it's only 18. And if you put a combination of the heat shield on the wall, besides the one that comes with the stove, you can get your clearance down to, to 12 inches, which is very close when you consider that the metal of the stove itself yeah. is over 700 degrees. Right. And, uh, you know, you're going to get wood on fire if you don't have a heat shield on there, if, you, if yeah. you're too close. So you got to have the shields on there. Yeah, that's a must. It's just a, a the glass is nice for viewing yeah. and, and also adjusting the air in the right stove. On. And as you know, Daryl, at one point I had three of your Kuma stoves. I had the one on Pine Island Lake Vermilion. I had the one in my backyard in Minneapolis, and I had a mobile sauna. And I was hauling around an 8 by 12 mobile sauna with a 400-pound Kuma stove to polar plunges, cross-country ski festivals, winter events. And, uh, and the mobile sauna thing was, was amazing to take uh, that sauna experience out to people. 
And, uh, and a question for you on that line of thinking is, uh, is if you yourself could have a kick-ass mobile sauna and bring it anywhere in the world where, with your stove in it, where would you like to go? I don't know. <laughs> where would I like to go with a stove? With a, with a mobile sauna to show people your product. I don't know. I Times Square? <laughs> It'd be nice, yeah. Well, you haven't ventured too far out of tower. You were in Madison recently, right? Yeah, but uh, for the EPA testing on the furnace, yeah. So no other spot comes to mind where you'd like to bring a mobile sauna and say, "Here, guys, check this out." Not really. I don't. I don't know. It's well, how about this question then? If you could take a sauna with anyone, dead or alive, anyone in the world—an athlete, a family, relative, uh, anybody—just sitting on the sauna bench with someone. Yeah, just BSing. Yeah, who who would you choose? While he's dead, no, Mickey Mantle would have been the one guy I would like to have had a, had a sauna with and, and picked his brain a little bit. Yeah, what would you ask him if you were sitting on a sauna bench with Mickey Mantle? Oh, geez, I would have, I would have just, you know, talk about his younger days and, and how far he used to hit the ball. Because I remember I, I got a, a CD of, or a, a DVD. No, not a DVD, but it's the other one, CD. CD, yeah. No, the cassette. Okay. Okay, of his, uh, and... On one on one part of that film, it shows where he, he hit a ball that went, I think it was 380 feet over the right field fence, and then it cleared a football field sideways before it landed, and they figured it went over 600 feet. Now I'd like to ask them how that felt or how or you know, and he was a young guy at that time when he did it. But some of those he would probably be the guy I'd like to interview, or maybe. Uh, Maybe Brett Farr for the Packers. Nice. Yeah, that would have been kind of a that would be an interesting song to listen and having him talk. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, well said. Well said. Yeah, and Mickey Mantle, I'm sure he must have hit the sweet spot of the bat oh, to get that. Man, that guy, unbelievable. I saw this one on TV even when we, when I was young, where he hit it at Yankee Stadium and it was, it hit the facade at the top of the third deck, and they estimated it at over 600 feet. Because it was, yeah, and he said he hit him over the roof at Comiskey Park in Chicago, cleared the roof in in Chicago, and same thing in Detroit. He hit, hit it over the roof in Detroit, I guess, a couple of times too. I mean, amazing power. So how about bringing steroids involved? Yeah, there you <laughs> go. So how about bringing uh, a mobile sauna with your sauna stove to uh, Twins baseball game, letting people feel uh, feel that like on a on a rainy. I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> okay, okay. My daughter was at your at your uh, the one you had on that. Yeah, and at the lake she came out there to see that and she said it was really a lot of people were, were taking advantage of it that's right yeah yeah uh they call me a sauna evangelist but i'm telling you yeah. daryl in all sincerity it's it's the kuma stove it's the kuma stove that really propelled me uh toward my passion toward writing the diy build your own sauna ebook uh i have two myself uh it's exactly the heat that i experienced when i was in scandinavia it is as good and not and even better than the heat that I've felt uh, taking saunas in Finland and in Sweden and stuff. And uh, and I found home. I found home with the Kuma stove. And I and it, you know quite candidly, when uh, when someone buys uh, my ebook or gets my advice on how to build a sauna and and I tell them to get the Kuma stove and all that, it's like it's a very forgiving product. You you can build a a, a sauna, build the sauna okay. And you put a Kuma stove in there, and it works great. 
you can build a great sauna and have a lame sauna stove yeah. and the, the stove the whole sauna experience is shit and that's the difference. And that's what you inspired me to do what I'm doing with sauna. Well, it's, it's the cleaner burn with the efficiency. And then also the control of the fire with our draft system. It, it uh, makes it so you have a nice controlled fire. You get even heat and you can get different levels of heat and sustain it. Uh, you don't have this really too hot and then too cool. And it's, it's a nice even heat because of the, of the design of the stove and the way it works. So let me ask you a question on those side. You know, from a very mechanical perspective, which you have, and you make wood-burning sauna stoves, you make electric sauna stoves. If you were blindfolded, you, you yourself, if you were blindfolded and led into a sauna, into the hot room, sat on the bench, blindfolded, do you think you'd be able to tell the difference between a wood-fired sauna stove and an electric sauna stove? Probably in most cases you would, but if, if it was our electric sauna stove, it's very close. It's a close call because our elements are not getting wet. You get continuous steam off it, just like a wood sauna stove, and you get a big burst of steam, which you get off a wood sauna stove. So it's our electric is fantastic, too. It is. Yeah, it's a great one. It is a great one. And, you know, the fundamentals are, are, are I won't say the same, but the fundamentals are so similar. What a sauna stove is, what its job is to do is to create thermal mass by heating rocks. Right, Daryl? Is it that simple? Yes. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Last last question for you. What do you think, Daryl, is is most misunderstood about sauna that you'd like others to know? Other people out there, like, what is it about sauna that in America say that that isn't really c correct, like, or understood? <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, something will come to you. Well, think about that. I mean, you must get some calls. Here's what I've noticed with sauna times is, uh, hey, uh, there's a lot of eyeballs hitting it. You know, it's growing like crazy. My interpretation is that people are grabbing onto health and wellness straws wherever they can. I'm sure yoga websites are getting hit a lot more. Sauna website, my website's getting hit more. We're in a time where, you know, health and wellness is an important thing for people. And, you know, this... Uh, this awareness of what you referenced earlier about, you know, sauna being good for you is, uh, is trickling in. Uh, a lot of millennials are getting really hip to uh, sauna and the benefits. Uh, a lot of people are really stressed out, you know, in, in their day-to-day -day jobs. And the idea you could walk out in your backyard, you know, walk 20, 30 steps out your backyard and you have this escape. You have this wonderful health and wellness escape. Uh, and, and being able to take advantage of all of the health benefits of a sauna and, frankly, just chill out for a little while, have a beer. Yeah, I think it's the, the stress, too, of the way the world is now. Everything is so fast-paced, whereas a sauna, you're sitting back and relaxing, and it's also it's good for your, your, your uh, pores and cleaning you up besides, besides the fact that you get real relaxed and get rid of some of that stress in, when you're in the sauna room. Yeah, so it's not, it's not really a misconception of sauna, right. but it's it's just uh, it, awareness. It's yeah. awareness nowadays that people are starting to see the value, and and there's so many people that are <laughs> wanting to get a sauna. It's it's hard to believe. Yeah. Almost everybody either has an electric in their house or a wood one at their cabin or lake place or whatever. So that's right. How many stoves are are on your list to be making right now? How many stoves are you behind in production right now, right Daryl? Right now, we're about 50 sauna stoves behind, and we got a you know we have a, a real big crew, 
So it, I would say two months behind. So I know how much, how valuable your time is, Daryl, and just this chitter chatter alone, I probably put you two more stoves behind. So I, I just, <laughs> on behalf of Sauna Times, I want to thank you for, for dedicating time this afternoon and talking sauna uh, with Sauna Talk. A any parting words, Daryl? Take a sauna. It's good for you.